St. Werbergs, Derby. So this week, this evening, we've been continuing our series on the kingdom of God. We started it last week, and if you were here, you'd have heard Phil speak on it, and he gave an overview of what it's all about. And kind of in the middle of his sermon, he made five points, and the first point he said was that if there's going to be a kingdom, there has to be a king. There has to be a ruler, someone who's running it, and that is what we're going to expand today. Because for us to understand, truly understand the kingdom of God, For us to understand what it means to live as kingdom people, we firstly need to look at the one who is king. We need to look at Jesus because everything else flows out from that. Everything else flows from him. So this evening, we're going to think a little bit about what it means for us to have Jesus as truly king of our lives. And not just us as individuals, but us here as a community at Werbs. Because as we allow Jesus to reign, as we have Jesus as king of all we're doing, then we start to see this city impacted. We start to see this nation impacted. And that is what we long to happen. So I know Andy's prayed, but it's always good to pray. So should we just pray again as we start? Jesus, we thank you that you are king. We thank you that you are king of this kingdom we are talking about. And I pray, will you open each of our hearts this evening just to learn more of you, to get a bigger vision of who you are, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So when I was at Key Stage 2, each year we had to do these bigger projects. And there's only a year between me and my brother, so my mum was always trying to do two of them on the go. And I don't think she really enjoyed it. But the most difficult part always was deciding what you wanted to do it on. We were just given kind of complete free reign. I remember one year, a couple of years I really struggled, and one year I was really excited because I knew what I wanted to do it on. I wanted to do it on the royal family because my granddad had just been to a garden party at Buckingham Palace. And being a child, I didn't really understand this. I presumed it was the same as me going for tea with someone. So I kind of imagined in my head that he'd walked up at Buckingham Palace, it'd just been him and the Queen, perhaps one or two others, and therefore they were really good friends. And so when I decided to do this project, I thought I'd write to the Queen and ask her for some pictures and you know, a few little things to put in my project. I thought that'd be a good way to get extra marks. So I wrote and I introduced myself and I explained um, that I was my granddad's granddaughter and therefore she would knew, know who I am because she obviously knew my granddad. And so I waited for a response. It was before the day of emails, but some of you will remember those days when you had to wait for the post to come. And I've been really excited, like each day getting home from school, waiting for this letter. And when I got it, I was really disappointed because I opened it and it wasn't, no surprise to anyone else, it wasn't from the Queen herself. It was a really formal letter from a lady in waiting. And there were some lovely pictures. But it didn't satisfy, because deep down, I hadn't told anyone, I was really hoping for an invite to have tea with the Queen. I'd imagine she'd say, come along and I'll help you with your project. That invite didn't come then, and it's never come since. I've never got to meet the Queen face to face. So I don't really know what she thinks about things. I didn't get to have any advice from her. And I personally think, I know there's lots of different opinions, but I personally think that she's a pretty amazing queen, that she's given a lot for this country. But actually, she's nothing compared to Jesus, who is king. I really respect her, I really admire her, but if I'm honest, the way she thinks, or her wisdom, or her leadership, 
They don't directly influence the way I choose to live my life day by day. I don't tend to stop and think, what would the Queen say about this? I wouldn't say that the Queen is influencing my life. But I would say that Jesus is king of my life and he influences the way I choose to live. I wonder who you would say runs your life, who influences you. So this morning we're going to look, we're going to kind of base this talk on a passage from Isaiah. And it's one that lots of you might have heard before, but often it's used at Christmas time because it's about the foretelling of Jesus. But don't worry, this isn't the start of our Christmas season, don't panic, you've got a little while to go yet. But it's just a great passage, and it first of all talks about him, um, this foretelling, and it explains a bit of what he's like. It's an amazing description. So the passage will come up on the screens, but also if you've got mobiles, you might want to turn to it on that, if that's how you like it, or there might be some um, Bibles around as well. It's Isaiah 9, verses 6 to 7, and it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So Isaiah was a prophet um, a long time before Jesus was on earth. And during his time as a prophet, there were many different rulers. And there were some who led people in the ways of God. But there were many who, different, who didn't, who led people away. And during the time of writing this passage, the nation was in a real mess. There wasn't much hope. It sounds quite familiar to today, doesn't it? He was speaking into this world of injustice and inequality. And he was writing this message to give hope again. And so he speaks of this different kind of ruler. Right then, there was rulers who weren't great. But he says there's going to time she's going to come where there'll be a ruler who does things differently. And this ruler, he's going to rule with justice and righteousness. And we now know that that promise of a king is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. And throughout the Bible, we see Jesus described in many different ways. He's given different names. He's given different titles. But in this passage, we see this incredible description where he's described as wonderful counselor, almighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. And then he goes on to describe Jesus as reigning. This ruler who's going to come is going to reign not just today, but forever. And so as I was preparing this, I began to think about this word to reign and what it really means. And I found this dictionary definition really helpful. It says it's a period when a particular person, feeling or quality, is very important or has a strong influence. Who or what do we allow to influence us? Who do we allow to speak into our life, to give us direction? And if I look at my own life, I can see areas where that's Jesus, where he's reigning, where he's influencing me. And I'd love to be able to stand here today and say that's every part of my life, that every thought I have, every decision I make, every attitude I hold is about Jesus. But if I'm going to be honest, and if people around you could also say that's not true, 
that there's many areas still where Jesus doesn't reign. I desire for that, but I wouldn't say I'm anywhere near there yet. As I look sometimes to the opinions I can hold, the way I view myself or the way I view others, decisions I make, what I see as successful, it doesn't all the time line up with having Jesus as my king. And all of us here, we're going to have different sets of goals and beliefs. And some of those will have come from your childhood, the way you were brought up. Some of them will be your personality, just the person you are. And some of them will be from the world around you. And often as culture changes, we can change our opinions as well. I can think of things I used to kind of think about or believe, and now as the world around me has changed, different things influence me more. For those of you who've just got to uni, you've suddenly entered into this new world again. And there'll be many new things which will start to influence you. You'll start to hear perhaps some opinions you've never heard before. And it's another of those seasons in your life, I think, where often you try and work out, what do I really think? What is important to me? I don't know if you've ever kind of um, been around people and suddenly you realize that you're picking up their phrases or their attitudes because you spent so much time with them. I know that when I'm with people who have a really strong accent, that often, and it's not intentional, often I end up mimicking their accent. And sometimes it can be really awkward and embarrassing because people think I'm taking the mickey. And I'm not, I just kind of subconsciously do it. I lived in Australia for a year, and all my friends when I came back were like, we cannot believe how Australian you sound. And I always used to have a really strong Geordie accent, so sometimes my accent as well is all over the place. But we pick up what is going on around us, and often it's a conscious thing. We don't even intend to do it. It's just the way things work. I wonder how much social media influences you. I wonder if you recognize sometimes how much it can. We grew up in this world now, don't we, where it's such a big part of our life. And we see the younger generation, and some of you will have struggled with this, struggling often with mental health issues, of anxiety. And I think often that can come from social media, not directly, but because it's there in our lives all the time. That actually it's really hard now to escape what the world is saying to you, because it's there 24-7. You don't go home anymore and you kind of close the front door and leave the world behind. It's there all the time. And I realized um, I didn't grow up with a mobile phone. I'm too old for that. I remember the times of sitting, waiting to use the phone to ring my friend after school and you had to wait for your mum to be off it and your brother. But um, I now, I'd say in many ways, I'm addict addicted to my mobile. I always know where it is. And if I don't have it, then I feel that slight loss and that slight anxiety. How am I going to know where to get? What if someone's messaged me? But I realized a few years ago that this probably wasn't a healthy habit. And um, it's when I was training to be a vicar, and I was at the college, and we talked about this, and, and the things that we allow, first things into our mind, and last things, and how this can really influence us. And so I made the decision at the time that no longer was my mobile going to be in my bedroom. And I remember that as we were first told this, um, in my head I thought, oh no, but I have to have it in my bedroom, it's my alarm. And the person who was speaking said, if you've just said to yourself, it has to be in my bedroom, it's my alarm, then it doesn't. You can go out and buy a five pound alarm clock. And I felt really challenged because I just thought that. And so I went through a period of time where it wasn't in my bedroom. 
And when I was kind of preparing for this this week and thinking about that, I've realized it's crept right back in. It's by my bed, and as I go to sleep, often it's the last thing I look at. Just, I'll just check the news again. I'll just check um, who's messaged. And it's the first thing I grab in the morning. As I turn my alarm off, I start scrolling through. And so I'm determined again to stop that habit. I go on holiday tomorrow. So I think often holidays can be a good time to break things. So keep me accountable. Ask me in a couple of weeks' time where my mobile is at night time. I wonder what the driving force is in your life. Whether it's about gaining material things, whether it's about being successful, whatever you see that as, whether it's about being popular, whether actually it's fear driving you right now and you're making decisions based on that, or it's trying to escape from the guilt you feel from things in the past. What is your driving force? Who do you allow to influence you? I would say that Jesus is a good place to go because actually he knows us the best and he knows what is best for us. And yet so often we can let his voice get dimmed in our lives and let the world's voice increase. A few years ago, I went on holiday and I went to Morocco. And while I was there, we went out and we um, went on this trip up to the Atlas Mountains. And it just so happened that as we went on this trip, by the side of the road, just coincidentally, there were two men there with camels. And there was offering us camel rides for a charge. And we hadn't been warned about this. So kind of the group of people I was with were really split. Half the people were really up for it and like, yes, I'm doing it. And the other half were like, no way, I am not getting on a camel. And I was the one who was kind of in the middle. I just couldn't decide. Like, I looked in, I thought, oh, it could be really fun. But I don't know if it's going to be fun until I'm on it. And what if I get on it and I hate it, and it's for a whole hour, I don't want to be sitting on a camel, like, really not enjoying it. And I must have had all these thoughts kind of going over my mind. And so the two men with the camels realized that I was the one, that if they wanted some extra business, I was probably the best one to go for. And so they did the hard sell on me and told me how wonderful it was going to be and this life-changing experience. And then they brought this camel out. And this camel was huge. I mean, it was seriously huge. It looked so much bigger than all the other camels. And I kind of looked at it, and he looked really grumpy. I don't know how a camel looks grumpy, but I just remember thinking that. I don't think this camel is having a good day. And so I kind of thought, but by now I was, I was thinking, yeah, I do want to do this. I do want to go for this camel ride. So I had a quick look round, and I saw out of the corner of my eye a much smaller camel, friendlier looking camel. And so I thought, if I'm going to do this camel ride, I'm doing it on my terms. I'm going to take control of this situation. So I said to the men, OK, I'll do it, but only if I can have that camel. And this look passed between the men. And the first man went to say, no, no. And the other man quickly intervened and was like, no, if she wants that camel, she can have it. We'll get it. And before I knew it, the camel was brought over, and I'm on the camel, and was setting off. And it literally took probably two, three minutes at the most before I realized my camel did not have any camel etiquette for taking people on a ride. The first thing he did was he barged into the camel in front. All the others, obviously, were walking beautifully. And this really stressed out woman who, um, she worked in risk assessment, so she was a little scared of risk. She turned around, and um, her first comment was like, can you control your camel? And I was like, no, I can't control my camel. And then she did ask whether I thought this whole situation was risk assessed, and I was like, I'm so sorry, I don't. Um, and then, so this continued, and I looked at everyone else, and they were having no problem sitting on their camel, because the camels were wide and sturdy. I was slipping from side to side, because my camel was tiny. 
But despite all this, I loved it, and I would highly recommend going on a camel ride. It was a lot of fun. It was a great way to see some of the local countryside. And so we got back, and I was feeling kind of really, yeah, I, like, I was like, yeah, it was the right decision. Made the right decision to go on it. And so it got to the time when you have to get off the camels. And if you've ever been on a camel ride, or if you've ever seen it on TV, you'll be aware that actually when camels sit down, they put their front legs down and the back follow. But as their front legs go down, you get lurched forward. And um, you might have gathered from the recently damaged foot, I'm a little accident prone. And so when I saw this bit, I was like, okay, this could be interesting. As all the other camels went down, I was getting a little bit nervous. First camel went down, second, really quickly. Camel went down, person off, camel went down, person off. And so I got to my camel, last one to go. And so I took this deep breath, and the camel went down, his front legs went, we lurched forward. I thought, actually, that isn't that bad, I can do this. But at that moment, the camel stood back up. This happened once, twice, three, four times. By this point, a crowd had gathered. People were finding it hilarious watching this camel. I was laughing on the outside because you have to join in. On the inside, I was a little more stressed. And then five, six, seven times, by which time I hate being a nuisance. Everyone else was ready to go, and I was feeling really awkward about it, like, oh, I'm so sorry. And so I turned to the men, and I was like, actually, it's quite a small camel. I could just jump off. And the man was like, you chose that camel. You stay on it until it sits down. Eight, ninth time. Finally, the camel sat down. And I was off it with any chance of ever standing up again. And we went on our way. And I remember reflecting on it afterwards and thinking, actually, I let fear drive me at that moment. I kind of looked at the situation. And because I was worrying, I thought I would take control. And that is a bit ridiculous, isn't it? Because I know nothing, literally nothing, about camels. Apart from in the zoo, that was the first camel I'd ever seen. And yet the men with them, they were with those camels every day. They knew the camel's temperament. They probably were bringing out the slowest, steadiest camel because they could tell I was nervous. But instead, I decided to take control. And actually, I can do that for my own life quite a lot. That Jesus is the one who knows me best. He knows what is best for my life. And yet so often I struggle to surrender and I want to take back the control. It's so easy to do that, isn't it? And yet we should allow Jesus to help us choose our camels. I am, since, since I've been here, I've been asked quite a lot about whether I always wanted to be a vicar. And I can say very strongly, no, I did not. It was never part of my dream. It wasn't what I, as a little girl, and people say, what do you want to be? I never said I'd like to be a vicar. And even as an adult, it kind of, it wasn't, I wanted to work in ministry, I wanted to work in a church, but not as a church leader, not as a vicar. And for quite a few years, people around me kept saying, do you not think you should think about this? Or some were even stronger and said, actually, we think it's what God's calling you to do. And I was just adamant, no. I remember like one set of friends, I was like, we're not even discussing this anymore. We're going to fall out. I just don't want to hear about it anymore. And, and over time, it kind of this, this sense, just people kept winning it up. And I was getting more and more defensive about it and that perhaps God was speaking to me. And one day we were way up Focus, which some of you came to this summer and the year before, which is when we go to the New Forest as a church. It's kind of like our church holiday. And in the big tent, they did this call and said to people, if you feel um, called to ordination, then come forward. And I was sitting there, and my heart was going like mad. And I knew that I should get up and move. 
and I couldn't because I was like, I just don't want to do it. And after that call, lots of people had gone forward. All I wanted to do was get out of that tent to ignore at that moment what God was saying, which I wouldn't recommend doing. But then the next moment, they sung this worship song about I surrender. And I remember standing there and thinking, I cannot sing these words of integrity. I cannot stand here and sing and say that I surrender when I'm actually not doing what Jesus is asking me to do, when I'm not allowing him to be king of my life. So at that moment, I left the tent and I texted a friend because I thought I need some accountability and said, I need to speak to you about something which happened tonight. And my friend texted back and said, yeah, I know what it is. But actually, one of the reasons I didn't, I couldn't, you know, even at that time really speak out. Someone said to me, why didn't you want to do it? I found it really hard to put into words. But over the next few days, having said, yes, okay, I'll start pursuing this to Jesus, I began to ask. There were lots of fears around it. I was worried it was going to limit my life in some way. I was worried about what my non-Christian friends would think that actually become awkward between us. I wasn't sure that my family would think it was a great idea. And I remember praying and said, if I'm going to do this, then Jesus, you need to walk through these hurdles with me. But do you know those fears, they never came to pass. They didn't actually happen. And I say most of them now, I can't remember what they were. And I'm loving what I'm doing. I loved my training. There were challenges along the way. There's always challenges in life, isn't there? But Jesus actually knew what was best for me. Let Jesus help you choose your camel. Go to him as the wonderful counselor. So firstly, Jesus is a wonderful counselor. Secondly, he is Prince of Peace. He is the Prince of Peace. And the more you allow Jesus to influence your life, the more you start doing things his way, letting him help make you the decisions, letting him be part of your thoughts, part of your conversations, the more you discover this peace. I wonder for you when you're trying to find that peace, where you go to, what you look for. The money tells us that... It, the money, the world tells us that it comes from money or success or popularity. And that actually, that as we gain these things, then we get our identity. But Jesus turns it on its head and says, actually, our identity comes from having him as king. That those things don't matter. That they don't give us security. Mike Bickle, who uh, runs the International House of Prayer, he says, I'm loved by God and I love God. Therefore, I am successful. This is what determines our personal worth. It turns it all on its head from what the world tells us. We start from this place of knowing that we are loved by the king, and that is what can bring us peace, despite the circumstances we find ourselves in. You know, for my granddad, he was invited to the palace. He was invited to spend time with the queen because of what he did. He first had to prove himself to get that invite. With Jesus, we're always invited in. And we're invited in because we're loved by him, not because of what we do. So first, we've got wonderful counselor. Secondly, prince of peace. And then thirdly, the almighty God. The almighty God, and he's a good God. The reason that we can trust Jesus, the reason that we can turn to him for this counsel, the reason we can have peace is because he's mighty, and alongside being mighty, he is also good. He is both of those things. And when I think about Jesus being powerful and almighty, and that image of him, I often think about a lion, and that's in the descriptions we get in the Bible, Jesus being a lion. 
And I don't know about you, but that, that then triggers a different thought. So for me, that then takes me to the film, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. I imagine lots of you have seen it. It came out quite a long time ago, a new film. And I loved it at the time, and I used to watch it a lot, because it kind of gave me this image of Jesus. And as, as I was preparing this, I re-watched it this week. And there were lots of amazing scenes in it. And it's about this land called Narnia, and again, the land's in a mess, and it needs someone who can save it. And that is Aslan, the lion. And towards the end of the film, we see these kind of scenes where he's there and he's fighting and he's sacrificing his own life. But earlier on, the way he's first introduced is in this conversation. And because it's a made-up land, there's obviously beavers who talk naturally. And there's this conversation going on between them and the children. And they're talking about the fact that the land is about, you know, they need help in this land. And the beavers say, you don't need to worry. You don't need to worry because Aslan is on the move. And so Lucy, the youngest of the children, rather says Aslan, isn't a man, it's a lion. And she says, like, well, is he safe? Is this lion safe? And this is what Mr. Beaver says. He says, safe? Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. He's good. He's the king, I tell you. And lots of people know C.S. Lewis was a Christian, and so Aslan represented Jesus. And the reason we can trust Jesus is because he's good, and he's mighty like a lion. And when he came and lived on earth as a man, he didn't live a safe, small life. He lived this radical life. He didn't come just to please people. He came to change things around. And just like Isaiah had spoken about all those years ago, he came as someone to fight for justice, to stand up for those who have no voice. For us, life isn't always about choosing a small camel. It's not about taking the easy option. It's not looking, about looking at the world and saying, well, how do you tell me to do things? Often it's about stepping out of our comfort zone. It's about doing things in a different way. If we say Jesus is our king, are we prepared to do that? Are we prepared to be a bit different with our finances, not to always put ourselves first, and gaining a bigger house? Are we prepared to give some of our money away to charity, to church? Are we prepared to not always go for promotions at job, actually if that means treating other people badly or stepping on other people? Are we prepared, perhaps when we're new and we're at uni, and actually we want to make friends, we want to be popular, are we prepared to say, actually tonight I'm going to church? Are we prepared to tell people that we love Jesus and that is what our life's about? Because some of these things can be costly and it's not the easy option. It's not the safe small camel. It means stepping out. It means surrendering again to Jesus, who we call our king. And when I kind of look at my own life and I look back at it, I realize that often the times when I struggle to do those things is when my vision of Jesus shrinks. So when I don't see him as his mighty God or the lion anymore, and he becomes smaller. And as he becomes smaller, then often that kind of fear creeps back in, or I want to do things the way of the world because my success and everything gets kind of um, all in turmoil in my head again. And when I recognize that happening, and I know I need to get that bigger vision of Jesus, for me, one of the ways I do it is by worshiping. I find worship such a powerful thing. And often I'm at home on my own. I will listen to worship songs and I will declare again the truth of what I believe about Jesus. Because as I speak it out, then my faith grows. And the worship song we sang earlier, um, What a Beautiful Name, 
It's got the most incredible lyrics. In many ways, I didn't need to preach tonight. We could have just kept on singing that song all evening because it declares so powerfully who Jesus is. It says in it, you have no rival, you have no equal. And I believe that because that is the truth. And yet I know often the struggle in my own heart is that there are rivals for Jesus. That I do, if I'm not careful, I put other things as equal to him. And I need to come back again and put Jesus in the center of it all. And it goes on to say, yours is the kingdom, yours is the glory, yours is the name above all names. What a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus Christ, my King. Nothing can stand against. And the reason we can put this trust in Jesus, the reason he is a wonderful counselor, he's Prince of Peace, he's a mighty God, is because nothing can stand against him. And then the song goes on and it says, now and forever our God reigns. And that is our fourth description. He is everlasting. Jesus doesn't just reign today. He reigns today and forever. He is and will always be king. And therefore that is worth investing in. I don't know about you, but I want my life to count for something that's going to last a long time. That's going to last beyond our time here on earth. That has to be the best thing to invest in, doesn't it? Not just the here and now, but something that's going to last for eternity. And actually, as we live in that light of eternity, as we remember that, and that it's not just about today or tomorrow or these next couple of years, as we remember that, then it should change our priorities because we start to live with that. And actually, rather than kind of um, having things here on earth and storing things up, which are only temporary, we start to invest in those things which will last forever. We start to invest more in relationships and in Jesus. But actually, all of this, it takes effort, doesn't it? It takes effort to keep on doing this, to keep on um, having Jesus as your king, and not just in words, but in the way that you are living. So drawing this all together, as we think about Jesus as our king, what difference is it going to make for us this week? As we go back out into our lives, as we leave this place tonight, as we go to work tomorrow morning, as we have to go and have difficult conversations with people, as we face circumstances this week, which might be really tough, are we going to allow Jesus to reign at those moments? Are we going to allow him to be king and direct what we do? And actually, the main way we do that is by surrendering. It's simply by coming again and saying, Jesus, you're the one I trust. Jesus, I want you to be king again. 